Welcome to Get Hired in Cybersecurity with your host, Io Adiojo. Make sure to follow me on LinkedIn for more tips and advice, and feel free to message me if you need more information on how to get into cyber. I'd love to help you on your journey, and I do offer one-on-one services and coaching. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get Hired in Cybersecurity. Today, I'm speaking with Casey Rogers, a digital forensics and incident response consultant at uh, TracePoint. Uh, Casey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. Uh, I'm really excited to to speak with you, and and I'm pretty sure I'm really sure our guests will will gain a lot of advice and insights from you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, um, I've been trying to get in the cyberspace for quite a while, um, and recently just finally got my foot in the door um, as an as an, an introductory kind of role that um, I'm still learning quite a bit from. Um, I've done quite a few different jobs um, along the way to try and find my way to get here, but um, the hardest part was just as I'm sure most of your listeners know, getting your foot in the door um, and getting an entry job is, is seems to be the hardest part. Understood. Yeah, excellent. And uh, it, it's definitely quite difficult to do. And I see uh, your background is, is more so physical security. Um, so how did you go about, uh, wh- what was it that made you look into cybersecurity um, as, as, a, as a field to get into? Cybersecurity was something that I always was always passionate about. Passionate about. I just never really had the chance of getting into it. Um, far enough back into my uh, career, I actually worked at Best Buy at one point as a salesperson. Um, I tried to get into Geek Squad and was basically told by managers that I do too good of a job selling and to stay away from fixing computers because I can just sell and make the company more money that way. And then I went into physical security after that point. Um, just trying to get away from that that um, that role and and try and find my own way and I, it was meant to be a temporary job um, at a very small company um, that turned into uh, another company where I was an ATM tech. I uh, worked on ATMs, dealt with a lot of money, worked on a lot of the ATMs, um, and that kind of got my my interest back into uh, cybersecurity because there's a lot of a lot of um, devices and intricacies that go into ATMs because they hold a certain amount of money and the computer systems that, that run those machines. Uh, so I was a technician for those for quite a while. And then I, I went back into physical security uh, for just a better company, for a better job, and, and actually got some professional experience. Um, so I took some information from every job that I had to try and learn to move forward. Um, and then once I once I finally found myself a, a good a mentor that could was able to help me get where I wanted to go and get, get me um, some training and some, some better, better advice. Um, I was able to finally get my foot in the door. I see. Yeah. I mean, I, we did talk about that before about mentorship and, and how that, that was a monumental or, or important part to your journey. Yes, um, yes. Can, can you speak a little bit more to that and, and what mentorship means to you? I know, uh, a lot of people listening might be interested in maybe seeking out a mentor. How did you go about that? And how, how, did, how has that accelerated your process into getting into cyber? So I actually had about four mentors total. Um, and the first, I want to say the first three of them were um, very, very, very nice guys. Uh, they wanted to help me. They just didn't know how. Um, and everybody learns differently. Some of the guys were like, oh, just, just go learn Python. And my 
question was, well, what part of Python do I need to learn? Because Python is, is very broad. Um, telling somebody to learn an entire language is, is one thing. Do I need to learn to be a master at it to get to the next step? Or do I need to just uh, learn the basics? Um, the, some of the other guys, uh, again, wanted to help me. They just didn't quite know what I was looking for. Um, I originally was trying to get into pen testing, um, and I found out quite a few of the guys are, are very big on, um, I do things my own way. And if you want to learn how to do things, you got to figure it out on your own, which if you don't really know what you're trying to get into, doesn't really help you a whole lot. Uh, and the most recent one that again is still uh, helping me now, um, took some time and said, okay, what do you know? What do you want to know? And here's how I do things. Um, and just basically kind of not necessarily walked me through things, but just said, okay, is this going to be a fit? And if I give you some work to do, are you actually going to do it? And that was the biggest thing because I proved, proved to them that I was going to take the time. And if they gave me what I consider it like an assignment, um, I was going to make sure it was done, um, before the time that they expected it to be done. Um, and that was the biggest thing that I, that was told by my, my mentor, of course, was that, they had tried to help other people before and said, Hey, if you want to get to where you want to go, you should do this, this, and this. And they go, okay, I'm going to go do something else, or I'm going to go get a degree, or I'm going to go get this certification. Um, if you have a mentor that's willing to take time to help you out, you definitely should take their advice and, and, uh, and at least make yourself available on their time and not necessarily accept them to expect them to do things on your time or in your timeline. Excellent. Yeah, that's something uh, that's very important is is being able to use the help and being being coachable and being able to uh, take the advice that you get and, and act upon it. So um, I, I, I definitely agree that finding mentors and, and actually working with a mentor, too, is very important, but not just listening and, and seeking advice, but but putting that advice into action. Yes. And yeah. even on from my end, that's that's the most that's one of the most frustrating parts is giving people advice and and not saying it's a, it's a waste of time. But um, if you're going to seek advice, be ready to use it. Mm -hmm. Be and ready that, to. to yep. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that that was one of the thing, first things I said when once I told told my, my current mentor my plan was I'm going to do this and get this certification and this certification and do this. And they were like, don't do that. Do this. Do this other certification over here, which is much harder but we'll get you much farther. Um, so in my mind, I was going to go the, the comp TIA path and say, get them to get my um, A plus security plus network plus and kind of work my way up that chain. And they said, no, you should, there's another certification that's kind of not as well known, but the people that do have it know what they're doing. Um, and I went to it, I paid for myself to take a two week class and uh, a five month long test which was a, a very, very invasive and, and hands-on test, not just a, a question and answer test. Um, versus, again, I actually went and took one of the comp TIEs and I actually got one in the, one of the smaller ones. And I'm kind of glad that I, I kind of took their advice and, and didn't kind of pursue what I thought was the best plan and took their advice and said, oh, I should do what they think I should do because, again, they're in the position that they're in for a reason. So... Got it. Um, yeah, so I, I guess um, 
one thing that I want to ask too was, uh, yeah, what what sort of what certification was it uh, that like where were you gonna go uh, regarding getting into where you are now, and and what was the the harder route that they suggested that you took? So I was gonna go the CompTIA route, and then she they suggested the um, IASIS, which is the International Association of Computer Investigative Specialists. So quite a mouthful. Uh, they have a course called the Basic Computer Forensics Class. Um, or basic computer forensics examiner class. Um, and they do it only in person once a year um, in Florida, uh, which sounds like a great thing in the summertime. Um, but it is a class that kind of goes over the basics of forensics and um, some of the incident, not really a lot of the incident response. It's more of a class for police that are, um, that are doing the police forensic side of things, whether it's um, checking computers for evidence or whatever they need to do uh, with warrants. Um, but they have a certification called the Certified Forensics Computer Examiner. And that's one of their hardest uh, certifications to get. Um, and it, like I said, it's a, it's a five month long hands-on test um, that you get to do on your own time. And they said the biggest part of it is actually just taking the time to do it. Um, it is a lot of, a lot of hands-on stuff and a lot of reporting um, for the test, um, but it, it, it's definitely well worth it. And um, I actually got the job I have now because I was actually able to get that certification. And uh, the, the people that I work with, a lot of them already have that one and they know what it takes to get it. It's not just a, you walk into a building, you take a, a 200 question test and you're done. You have to actually do some hands-on forensic work to know these, to get these answers and, and be able to pass this test. So that was, that was the advice that they gave me and said I should go do this instead. Um, it was not easy. I spent a lot of late nights. Um, the class itself has four 250 to 300 page manuals. Um, and then that two week class, they go over a lot of it, but not all of it. And so you stop to go home and still do studying and still um, read through all those manuals. Um, and I still use those to this day on, on some of the cases I work now. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome, awesome to hear. Um, I think a lot of people might think uh, that they have to go through regular routes, which you know, CompTIA or yeah. do something that everybody else does, not knowing that there are some less traveled paths that uh, lead, lead to better outcomes. Right? You can really prove your competency um, the the right way and show that uh, you're able to do the work you're able to put in the time and commitment. And uh, I sense that a, a lot of what's going on now is that we want a simpler path into it, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, it would be nice to put together a few certifications that are, are, are a bit easier to take than the one you described. I know another one that I that comes to mind is the OSCP. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's a that's a 24-hour test. That's very, very tough. Um, but a lot of respect comes with that from employers and people who are looking for those getting into pen testing, um, as opposed to some other ones that are, are not as, as hard to come by. Yeah, of course. And I, I think a lot of employers are really just looking for some of that hands-on experience that you can get from some of these tests and not just some of these ones where they say, oh, you can read a book and pass a test. They want to know if you can actually apply what you've learned. Yes. Yeah. Applied knowledge is, is, is really, uh, the, it's really great to show applied knowledge. And, and that's something I was, 
something that I appreciate about my my college program is that it was hands-on and theoretical knowledge it's it's useful it's, it's important but at the end of the day you have to be able to demonstrate and, and show a bit of hands-on experience for some of these jobs it goes a long way yeah exactly um all right so i i guess uh with you know you you got a mentor um you followed their instructions and you got your current role as a digital forensic and an incident response consultant so what do you do there um what's your day-to-day like so day-to-day we do a lot of uh the company i work for does a lot of investigations for companies so basically we get hired in by either uh law firms uh usually um with uh companies with cyber insurance. And if the company has an incident, they call their cyber insurance company. The cyber insurance company will get them a lawyer and usually the lawyer will contract us or another um, incident response or cyber, or cyber company like us that will basically go into their systems and they basically will pull a triage for us um, or an image of a computer for us. And we can go in and look at and see what happened um, through a lot of the different artifacts that are in the computers. Um, uh, who was logged into it when um, a lot of the event logs um, are, are, are big things that we would go through. Um, but just going through all, all the different artifacts that, that we can gather, um, if it's a full image, we can go basically through that entire drive, see what was on there, see what was, uh, if it was recently deleted, we can still see that as well. Um, and just see what, if, if it had a ransomware, if it had a virus, or if it had somebody just trying to um, get in from a different IP address. We're trying to move between computers, uh, just trying to use the evidence that we can find and, and not necessarily build a case, but it's, it's building um, a report. Basically, we can give back to counsel um, for whatever the incident was. I see. So, is, uh, is I'm guessing there's a lot of work with law enforcement and, and uh, legal authorities too. Uh, not not as much law enforcement. We do a lot more of the private side. Um, We'll give all that information to the council and council can go through that and decide whether or not the company needs to say that this was actually a breach or it was not. Um, and that is um, purely up to council on how to, they decide that. Um, but with the evidence we find, if we if we find um, the ransomware was executed and what systems were encrypted, um, we also have teams that will actually will talk with threat actors to try and negotiate the price and either negotiate it down or if we have to pay for a decryptor, um, there are times where, where again, uh, companies will decide to pay for a data suppression where if the threat actor, if we know the threat actor stole data um, and they can prove that and we can prove that they, the network logs will show that files of a certain size were exfiltrated out of the, out of the network that will, they will pay threat actors keep from posting that online. Um, we're paying for a decryptor to decrypt the systems if they don't have proper backups or if the backups were also encrypted. Um, so just working with private companies and working with council um, to try and help these private companies get things settled or get things taken care of or figure out how they got in so we can tell them how to fix it, tell them, hey, here's what you need to do to fix this so it doesn't happen again. Understood. And is is there, um, from... I would say, is there a large need for, for digital forensics at the moment? I know a lot of incidents are going on at the moment. Um, are, are these, uh, is it a common occurrence, so to speak? It is, um, whether it's ransomware or it's just network intrusion, um, email compromise. I mean, 
companies all over the world are getting attacked on a daily basis or an hourly or a monthly basis, depending on how big the company is. Um, all, and all it takes is one bit director to find the one pinhole to get in the network. And then from there, they can either um, upload again, um, ransomware executable um, and try to encrypt all the systems that they can, or they can move between systems and try to just see what's on the systems what they have access to. Um, the biggest thing is data exfiltration. If they can steal data and they can prove that they stole the data and then say, leave uh, notes all over the system saying, hey, we stole your stuff. Give us money or we're going to post it online and everybody's going to see it. Um, you definitely don't want, they don't want their customer's information out there. Um, and very rarely do we actually have data, a lot of data of exfiltration, but it's, it does happen um, where companies have data that's actually been stolen from them. And um, the threat actor is threatening to just post all, all their social security numbers or bank account numbers or whatever it is online um, for anybody just to have. So, of course, companies don't want that to happen. It looks bad on the company. It looks bad on um, just everybody. So we do everything we can to get them all the information that, they, that we can give them about what happened so that that council can make a, an educated decision and the company can make an educated decision on what they should do next. Wow. Yeah, it's um, that's about as real as it gets. Um, yeah, on, on that side of things, like it, that's really the tip of the spear. Uh, you know, it's, it's like uh, ground zero. So yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, with with everything happening, it's it's the actual incident. Um, for for our listeners, and I, I digital forensics and incident response. It's uh, I don't see much online about it uh, on LinkedIn, especially. I know. There's just general basic uh, information security knowledge on mm -hmm. there. What are some of the skill sets you believe one needs to possess or to be, you know, um, good at their job with incident response? And I know that certification is, was it the CFCE that, that was the one that um, took that, yes. that, that's an extensive certification program? Yeah, okay. it's a, it, yeah, it's the computer, uh, yeah, certified computer, I'm sorry, certified forensic computer examiner. Just a weird one to say, but yeah, it's the CFCE. Um, so with the class that you take before that, they actually teach you quite a bit. Um, my original plan was to get into pen testing. I thought that would be a lot more fun. Um, and what I found was it was harder for me to find information on that or learn from that than it was for digital forensics, which made more sense to me because in my mind, pen testing is you're looking for the pinhole to get in, to break something or to find out how things work or see what you can get into. And for, uh, the forensics or, or incident response side of it is figuring out the opposite of how they get in, what happened, what did they get into. Uh, so to me, it would make more sense to do the forensic side because you're basically given a puzzle and you have to solve the puzzle. Um, what was the entry vector? Um, what did they touch? What did they get into? Um, those kind of things. Um, and not, not you standing outside of a wall trying to get in. I'm already on the other side of the wall figure, trying to figure out how you got in. If that makes sense it does it does it's 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 a different perspective and almost uh two sides of the same coin yes so sir. Speak. yeah uh with with one you know kind of doing the the red teaming and the other and the blue teaming and uh, yeah that's that's i can see how that could uh the difference between the two um my, another question I had is, what are the skill sets you believe people who are interested in digital forensic needs need to be, to be good at the job? Um, 
so the the main skill set is, is basically is going to be more than anything is going to be um, problem solving. You're, you're going to have a lot of problems that that need be solved. Whether you use different tools, um, some tools will work with with some operating systems and some will not. Um, you got to be versatile on a lot of different things. Um, not saying you need to learn everything because nobody's a master of everything. Um, but I think I think the problem solving skills are the are the, are the biggest ones and. And be able to think through problems. Um, if, for example, if you have somebody that gets an intrusion on a computer uh, through the network, and you see that they logged in through a certain username, and then the username has their permissions elevated to an administrator, that that may be an indication of something being changed or something being off. Um, but you also need to be able to follow that trail of the other systems that that user may have touched after that point. Um, and to me, it's just a big puzzle. Um, if you don't like puzzles, forensics may not be for you, but it's definitely the other side of the coin of, of the opposite of pen testing um, is just trying to figure out how, how things happened, how things worked, um, and being able to put those pieces together uh, to write your report or to explain what happened to whoever your client is. Yeah, and, and I, I know there may be a, a bit of... Um paperwork involved in, in writing and, and, and reporting that many uh, might not understand is, is involved. Um, even in, pet in even in pen testing too, you have to be able to write reports yes. and, and and convey it to the to the client. Um, well, what skills that you're needed to... Yeah, well, I was, I was gonna say one thing on the report side, uh, with forensics I did learn is you only report on what you find and you don't usually give opinions, you only give the facts. Um, which makes report writing a lot better than I thought it would be. I was actually, that was one thing I was actually kind of somewhat terrified of. I, I don't like writing. I'm not much of a writer. I don't like writing stories or long paragraphs. Um, but once it comes to doing the reports, I actually really don't have a big problem with it because I just go to my notes and go, hey, system A, at this time, this date, this user logged in. This time, this date, we see this, this odd URL address. At this date and time, we see... And we just basically give them a play-by-play play of what happened and when, and that's your report. Um, there's not a lot of, well, I think that this happened. It's it's a lot of, here's what actually happened. And you, all you give them is just the facts. And it makes it pretty simple um, if you take good notes. Understood. So I, I, as you're as you're doing the, the actual digital forensics, you're creating notes and logs on the side of, of what you find yes, at the same yes. time. Understood. Um, and is there any like presentation involved? Um, are you involved in in client presentations, or do you work with the uh, incident response teams to suggest remediations as well? To a point, yes. Um, we will tell clients um, during the engagement, "Hey, we see activity here. We need to um, have your firewall stop these kind of these kind of um, logs, or we need to." start logging these things, or if we need to stop certain um, access to different th items, we may tell them, hey, you need your firewall to block these things. Um, we also have a team of on-site guys that will, depending on the engagement, may go on-site and actually help as well. Um, that's always a great help for us to actually have somebody on-site that we can talk to as part of our team that can relate to the client information, or if we notice that there's connections to a computer, we don't have a an image or a triage of, we can say, hey, we need this one over here. Um, and they can go work on that for us. Um, 
it just helps a lot with having somebody on site. Uh, but yes, th there are uh, calls depending on the client. We have some, we have clients that have had calls um, two or three times a day and some that whenever, one every two days, um, just to kind of give updates on, on where we are in the investigations. Um, investigations, depending on the scale, some are very short and some are very long. So it all depends on the engagement and what actually happened and the size of the network, network, of course. I see. So with uh, what type of information is used to assess the incident? Um, are, are you uh, analyzing logs as well or is it hard drives primarily? Um, what what what, adv uh, what what information is used to paint the whole picture for the client? Um, there's a lot of information that, that we use. Um, for a lot of the Windows systems, the MFT, uh, the master file table, um, is actually a great resource just to know all the files that are on there on the system. Um, there's just a lot of uh, there's a lot of artifacts once you get into forensics. I'm not going to try and go into all naming all of them because there are hundreds. Um, the event logs, the registry keys, those are some of the big ones. Um, and there's a lot of information in just those. Um, there are cases where threat actors um, will delete those. And they it will leave a, a log somewhere else saying, hey, the, the system logs were cleared or the security logs were cleared at a certain point and the date and time and who did it. Um, but even if you clear those logs, it logs that somewhere else. And we say, hey, this user cleared these logs so we can't see that past this point. Um, but if we have a full image of the computer, there are some softwares that can still pull those deleted files and uh, examine those as well. Um, the other problem we have sometimes with these event logs is a lot of them have a certain size limit. Um, and once they hit that maximum size limit, the oldest item falls off and the newest item comes in. And if there's a lot of network traffic or there's a lot of items coming through it, there are times where we've seen the entire um, security event log um, only has a day and a half or two days worth of information, which if the incident happened two weeks ago, doesn't really do us a lot of good, but we can see what's going on right now. Um, and what happened the past two days, it's probably running that log so many, item, so, so many items through that log to fill up the space so fast. Um, the other cases we'll, we'll have months worth of information in there. It all depends on the size limitations that the operating system has set. Um, some, some networks and companies will change that manually themselves, which will give us some more information, which is great. And uh, some have it the default amount, which is usually plenty enough. Um, firewall logs, um, any network and information we can get that we can get um, and any computer information that we can get, we'll usually try and go through it um, we use a, a variety of tools to look through that. Um, when I first started learning, one of the biggest ones I started playing with was, um, it's called autopsy. Um, and it's a free tool. Um, so I started using that to play with my own system and just to see what, see what it was on my own system on my personal computer that I could see, um, if somebody else were doing an investigation on my computer, would also see. So that was a, a really good training moment for myself and just see what I could find and, um, see what event logs were coming through my system. Got it. Yeah, I, I, I do remember um, the the master file table. Uh, it's really huge. And, and I'm, I'm guessing there's a huge, there has to be a certain understanding of how data is stored in computers on the, on the current, not the kernel level, but yes, at a low yes. level um, of, of how it's partitioned and, um, Finding information. I remember a tool too called Ida. Um, I'm not sure if I'm, it's the right one though. Um, where 
you you look into Linux partitions yes, as yeah. well, and uh, try to find the the file tables and um, yeah, it's really it, it gets really deep when you when you try to look into into these things and autopsy. I haven't used that and but that's a great suggestion too for listeners to practice um, as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it sounds like there's a lot of information that goes into this, and I can see, I can visualize how it's it's a, it's a puzzle almost of you know finding one piece of information and connecting it with another piece um creating a timeline and painting the picture um there's, there's quite a bit of artisan artisan type work to it uh with paying painting the full picture to the client um i guess too as, as we wrap up i wanted to know is there any advice you have for listeners looking to get into cybersecurity, specifically digital forensics um that, that you'd want to offer? um digital forensics is actually um, the reason I've mainly got into digital forensics was the community. Once I started searching for it, how open they are to just teaching people. Um, it's actually really, really great. Um, like I said, I, I had some issues before with pen testing. I'm not saying everybody would just my personal experience of, uh, the pen testers I was talking to were, were very big on my information and these are my trade secrets and I don't want to share them because then you can use them and maybe get a job that I'm, I wanted to get, um, or get a, a client that I wanted to get. Um, but the forensics, the forensics team wants to teach everybody because there, there's a big shortage right now of, of uh, people doing incident response. Um, again, with, with things going on all over the world, uh, there, there's definitely a need for people to go back through and, and figure out how, again, ransomware or malware or um, network intrusion got in and what all they took and what all they touched, um, what all they got into. Um, there's many, many, many sites out there that are willing to help you. Um, if you look into autopsy, um, I believe it's made by basis. They also do free trainings, um, from time to time. They're great. Um, if you can get, if, if they're doing a free training session, listen in on it. Um, it never hurts to listen in on those trainings. Even if you don't understand everything, what I would usually do in those cases was I would taking, taking notes everywhere I could. Anything I didn't know, I looked it up afterwards. I just made a note of it. If I didn't know what the MFT was, I made a note of the MFT. There's a lot of acronyms. Um, I'm still trying to learn some of these even today. Um, I've only been in the position I'm in for almost um, five months now. Um, and I'm still learning every day. And there are people that I've been working with um, now that have been doing this for 20 years. Uh, and they still have a lot of things that they learn on a daily basis. So it's, it's another field that you have to continue learning. You're never going to know everything. Um, things change, operating systems change, um, for the operating systems changing data change where the data is stored is changing as well. So you have to continue staying on top of that, uh, to, to be relevant. Um, another side, if you're, if your listeners want to uh, look up uh, DFIR madness, they do a lot of really good training on there as well. There's actually a really funny, um, case that you can do on your own. Um, it's, uh, based on the brick and morty tv show um it's actually kind of funny on uh how some data was stolen and you, you basically go through and it they have walkthroughs on, the, on their site as well to on how you go through some of these some of these items yourself with free tools um it's all everything on there is free there are, there are tools they will suggest that aren't free if you can't get those there are free alternatives um some of those work a little differently than the free ones um of course a premium tool is going to be a little easier to read but um I got a lot more knowledge out of using their free tools and learning how to read hexadecimal and learning how 
data is stored directly on a hard drive um, before starting to use these, these more paid tools that, that lay it out for you in plain English should make it a lot easier to read, but understanding, understanding where it came from uh, made a big difference to me. Um, so if you definitely, if you can, just take a look at some uh, trainings whenever you can get a chance um, and take advantage of anybody willing to help you. Um, if, if there's anything I can do, I'm definitely open to help. I, I'm very new at this. Um, I'll give you any, any information I can and help anybody any way I can. Um, I want to help everybody the way, again, I, I, I got help from somebody else, so. Thank you. Thank you so much, Casey. And, and where can, where can um, uh, listen? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I don't have a lot on there right now. Uh, I need to update my LinkedIn at the moment. Um, or you can email me at uh, boogie, B-O-O-G-I-E, 198 at protonmail.com. Um, that's my, my primary email. Feel free to email me. I'm happy to, uh, to talk to people. Um, and if you ever have any questions for anybody, just let me know. Will do. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave those in the link uh, in the description of the, the podcast notes, just so anyone who wants to reach out can. And um, I, I do really appreciate your time today, Casey. It, it, it means a lot, especially talking about your transition into cyber, how you went about it and, and what you do now with digital forensics. It's it's great to hear and it's it's of great value to my uh, I'm just glad to be here and I appreciate the time you've taken to talk to me and uh, let me be on the show. Yeah, yeah. Thanks again. Hope you have a great day and, and thanks again, Casey. Bye now.